is covenant and the power of agreement but what we definitely have here is contrast because although they are two thieves justly condemned for their crimes not my words you'll find that's the words of one of them they are both looking at Christ from two different perspectives. They see Jesus differently. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And all the people said, amen. amen. All the people said, amen. amen. Let's ask the Holy Spirit for the mind of Christ. So sweet Holy Spirit of the living God, we are in your presence, desperate, desperate longing for more of you. We need you now more than ever. We need wisdom, revelation, insight, understanding. Help us to see more clearly than ever before. And birth in us today that passion for souls be glorified magnified and exalted in the word is our prayer in Jesus mighty name and all the people said amen I'm going to speak into our collective consciousness from the words of the criminal who died with Christ remember me remember me so I want you to look around at your neighbor Try not to let any droplets come out when you do this. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and say, don't forget me. Just look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Remember me. Now, I am somewhat fascinated by the words, the beliefs, and the attitude of this particular man. I'm fascinated because it would appear by his own confession that he had lived a criminal life. And you don't think of people living the criminal life as having any theological gravitas. You, you think that a scholar, maybe a rabbi, maybe uh, someone consistent in the synagogue would have some theological gravitas. You don't think of a criminal as having particularly godly thoughts. Let alone the insights, the insights of this particular man. Because this man seems to recognize that Jesus was not dying on the cross as much as he was entering into his kingdom. He somehow saw Jesus at the doorway of his great destiny. How do you look at someone on their worst of days and know that actually what seemed like your worst day is actually your best day because you're at the doorway of a great destiny? You are coming into your kingdom. And when you do, remember me. He seems to know that Jesus, after he stops breathing, will have consciousness and memory in a kingdom. Which means he knows Jesus to be a king. Your kingdom. How did criminal know something that all the religious folks didn't know? It was the religious that organized his crucifixion. It was the religious that were most irritated by his teaching. Annoyed, threatened, intimidated by Christ. How does the criminal know Jesus is the king of a greater kingdom when the students and the scholars have no idea? If I learn anything from this passage, it is that we must stop judging the book by the cover. Yeah. We need not write people off just because they are dysfunctionally operating a criminal lifestyle. <laughs> Just because they are practicing foolishness, don't write them off because there may be some depth. There may be some gravitas there. And this is why he fascinates me because we're not given any background on him. All I know is he got more sense than all the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes put together. <laughs> he knows more than Nicodemus and the whole Sanhedrin council. He knows more than the Roman army, the emperors, the, 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 the procurator, Pontius Pilate. He knows more than all of them. And he knows that this is not the end of Jesus. Look like the end, but it's not the end of Jesus. In contrast to him, there is another criminal for whom Jesus is an imposter whose lies, whose treachery, whose tricks and whose magic 
have found finally caught up on him. This man looks at Jesus as someone whose faith has failed him. And pretty much is sticking the boot in at the last minute. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us while you're at it. Isn't it amazing how two people can see you in two completely different ways? Which, which exposes the folly of the disease to please everyone and the attempts we make to project an image that everyone will accept. Everyone is not reading your story the same way. Try as you may, people are going to see you different. And as good as you get, people are going to see you different. You could be the most innocent, sinless, spotless lamb of God and someone is still thinking you imposter, hypocrite. It's all catching up on you now, isn't it? You'll never avoid criticism in life. You'll never please everyone all the time. Someone is going to be upset with you about something you have no, no clue and no idea. So I want us to look at these different perspectives of Jesus. And I want us to realize that this is not Jesus in the marketplace with a crowd of people thronging to see him. This is not Jesus having just healed the sick or having just raised the dead. This is Jesus at his lowest point. Because if you really want to know what people think of you, okay, don't judge it by how they think of you in your high place. Judge it by how they think of you and deal with you in your low place. I hope this is resonating now. Because... Folks will meet you in the high place and find you very attractive. Economically, sociologically, you are the person to know, to be around. But those same people may meet you in a low place and have an entirely different opinion. Both of these men are seeing Jesus in a low place. And they have contrasting perspectives and points of view. So, when it comes to you, because mm -hmm, I'm going to make you Jesus now. When it comes to you, there are people viewing your trials, your tests, your troubles, and your struggles as evidence of some inconsistency with you. Y'all ain't going to help. There are always those who are going to look at your troubles, your trials, your tests, your issues as proof that there's something deficient in your faith, something inconsistent in your walk, or that you have somehow incurred this wrath upon yourself. Pretty much like Job's friends. <laughs> when things went wrong for Job... Job had friends. This is the problem. We all got friends to contend with. That's why people turn off their phones. Come on now. Put the phones on silent when you're going through because you don't really want to hear from some of your friends. Because they have opinions as to what you could do better, should have done, uh, and, and how you have in some way incurred this set of circumstances and are in some way responsible for all the hell that's breaking loose in your life. And yet they are your friends. Mm -hmm. When you're on your cross, there are people that will 
use that moment as evidence against you. And they will conclude that faith doesn't work for you. Your faith isn't helping you. <laughs> this is deep. Your faith isn't helping you. How long you been doing this? And you're still... Can I keep it real here today? You're still not married. Your faith isn't working for you. You're still broke. Your faith isn't working for you. You still got those hospital appointments. You're still going back and forth. Your faith isn't working for you. Your trials, your tests, your tribulation, your struggles to them is evidence of a failed religion. And they look at you and are almost laughing at your insistence that God is good. <laughs> that God is good all the time. I don't know about the good, this good God of yours. This good God of yours is not helping you. But I need you to know that there are Others who for the exact same reason admire you. Y'all ain't going to help today. There are others looking at the exact same set of circumstances and they stand in awe of you. They think you are awesome, amazing, clearly anointed, chosen, blessed, and highly favored. Even though something is going wrong for you. <laughs> I often think about the relationship between Ruth and Naomi. Mm. That's right. No need to know some Bible to get through this sermon. Today. Huh? <laughs> or at least act like you know. Ruth and Naomi. By every stretch of the imagination... And by every carnal assessment, Naomi was cursed. Yeah, your husband died. That's not a curse, it's sad. Now both your sons die. <laughs> That's not bad. That's a problem, girl. Seemed like all the men around you die. And Ruth happened to be the wife of one of the boys. And Naomi says, I have nothing left for any of you. Go, you're young enough. Go, find you a husband and live out your life and forget about me. And Ruth says to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave thee. Where you go, I'm going. Where you dwell, I'm dwelling. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. What was it that Ruth saw in Naomi? Because no one else could see it. From every possible carnal assessment, Naomi, you have offended God and you are cursed. And the quicker we can get away from you, the better. And yet here is a Ruth looking at the same set of circumstances and admiring Naomi. Standing in awe of her and saying, I don't want to leave you. I am not going to I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to live where you live. I'm going to take on your language, your culture, your food. Your people will be my people. And I want to serve your God. What is it about Ruth? Let me tell you something. Some people admire you for the things you achieve. Others admire you for the things you endure. And their conclusion is that if you could go through this, 
and keep your praise. If you could go through this and keep your poise. If you could go through this and still be dignified. If you could go through this and not lose your mind, then God is real and God must be in you and God must be for you and I want to know that God reason I need to know the God that keeps people in hospital. The reason I need to know the God that keeps people when things are repossessed. The reason I need to know the God, the God that keeps your sanity when life has presented its adversity is because I am not living in this bubble daydream that everything is always going to be all right all the time. Now, I like the God, I really like the God who makes you a millionaire. <laughs> but I love the God that keeps your sanity when you lost a million and give you the energy to get back up again and recreate it from scratch. I, I like the God of the happy marriage. Y'all ain't going to help. But I love the God who can take someone who's been abused, rejected, abandoned, left for dead, and pick them up all by himself, restore their sanity, restore their self-esteem, and raise them up from nowhere to go on and live an even more productive and fruitful life. I love the God that gets into the gutter and pulls people up and washes them down and gives them a second chance. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> I really like the God that keeps you healthy. But I love the one that when the prognosis is bad, he keeps the smile on your face. He keeps the peace in your heart. He keeps you confessing victory and singing a song at midnight. I love that one. And, and when you look at life's trajectory, that's the one you're going to need. That's the God you're going to need. And I think it's a crying shame that as we, uh, you know, as, <laughs> as the church emerged from the dark ages and began to recapture doctrines of the scriptures in the Protestant Reformation that became a Pentecostal awakening and a charismatic renewal, I think it is a shame that we got to this place where God, God is only the God of the blessing and he is only the God that is, that is to where people felt ashamed to even admit they were going through a hard time. Because church was the place that you put on the makeup, you put on the smile, and you pretend that everything is all right. And, and, and because if anything was not quite right, it's because you were not quite right. Come on now. Uh, that's a shame because if there's anything obvious about the Bible, it is that, it is that God is the God of the mountain and of the valley. That he'll meet you in the valley and that he'll celebrate with you on the mountain. That being a child of faith doesn't make you exempt from life's uh, eventualities and inevitabilities. And what you're going to need God for is to keep you, keep your heart, your mind, your sanity, your strength. That's the God you're going to need at some point in your life. So Ruth says, I'm not leaving Naomi. Because the way God has kept her through this madness, I might need him to keep me through some madness down the road. I, I want Naomi's God to be my God. And as a result of not leaving Naomi, she was found of Boaz. Of who? Boaz! I didn't say she found Bozo. 
I said she was found of Boaz. It's not even February. Calm down. It's not in February yet. It's... She was found of Boaz because she was impressed with the faith of Naomi and the God that could keep Naomi through madness. And I stopped by to tell you that there are two sorts of people around you. Those who are looking at you and wondering where is your God. And others are looking at you and saying God is so real. Yeah. There are people in your family that are looking at you saying where is God. And there are others who are secretly admiring the dignity with which you have courageously faced what you've had to face. And these are the two people around Jesus. And one of them, one of them says, remember me. Remember me. Here's the paraphrase. The paraphrase is, I know that you are about to step up and step in to glory. I know that you're going to a place where you will be celebrated, adored, and honored. You're leaving the place of toleration and you're entering the place of celebration. He says, I know that your future is bright. But when you get there, remember me. Oh, this is deep. Because <laughs> the first time I read this in the scripture was Joseph in jail. Joseph in jail. And in the prison, he interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh's butler and the Pharaoh's baker. First, the butler. He interprets the dream that in three days, you will be restored to your place and you will pour Pharaoh's wine again. Mm -hmm. The baker said, uh, sounds good. I like, I like this guy. Okay, well, here's my dream. Joseph says, your dream means that in three days, Pharaoh is going to cut off your head and feed your body to the birds. Interesting, isn't it, how that Joseph is a type of Christ. Think about it. He is the unique son of his father, Jacob. You say, well, unique? No, I thought he had 12 sons and 12 No, Joseph is the unique son because Joseph is the firstborn son of Jacob's chosen wife, Rachel. Y'all ain't going to help now. He is the youngest, yet he is the eldest. Woo, y'all ain't going to help. His coat of many colors was a symbolic way of his father saying, this is the son of my intention, the one I should have had first had I not been tricked by Laban. Help. This is the son of my intention, therefore the coat of many colors indicates that he is my successor. Hence the others hate him and seek to get to destroy him. So here is a boy loved by his father, but hated by his brothers. Sound like Jesus? Here is a boy sold into the hands of Gentiles for pieces of silver. Sound like Jesus? Here is a boy that once in the hands of Gentiles is falsely accused. Sound like Jesus? Sent to prison. Prison was a type of death because once you go to the Egyptian prison, you're never meant to reappear ever again. So he is sent to the prison, but in the prison, he is accompanied by two 
butler. The baker. The butler. The baker. Sound like Jesus? He's even talking about three days and three days and three days. Joseph is talking about this stuff in the prison. Three days. Says to the butler in three days. Says to the baker in three days. And I could tell you the rest. Yes. Joseph came out of the pit and went straight to the palace. It's a type of resurrection. He sat at the right hand of majesty. It's a type of the ascension. He developed and delivered the plan of salvation that saved the entire world from certain death. He's a type of Jesus. But here's what he says to the butler. He says, you're getting out of here. And when you do, remember me. Because I can think of nothing and for you to find deliverance for you to make it out of an impossible situation for you to come back from the dead and then forget the others who are still there you know <laughs> you know why in many of our communities people are not making the progress they should because it's very simple one of us climbs the corporate ladder, gets to the top, looks around at the other guys stepping on the ladder. I said, there's no room up here for, for two of us, bro. And pushes the ladder right back down. Make it even harder for others to come along. The truth is that we are obliged to reach back and help another who's dealing with something we survived. We are obliged. It's the moral thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And to forget them is the wrong thing to do. To forget where you were, how you felt, and how you prayed and how God came in to forget that is immoral. And we're dealing with a level of immorality in the church today rooted in our collective amnesia and our forgetfulness of where we came from, how we got over, come on now, and who heard our prayers. This is a crisis. It was a crisis in Israel. Yes, it was. And this is why the feasts of Israel, this is why God says every year uh, you are to have a feast. You are to have a celebration. You are to have a memorial because your number one disease, your number one danger, the number one threat to where you're going is that you will forget where you have come from, what you, what you overcame, what you came over, and how you made it over. Because the minute you forget your own story you become open to suggestion and to a twisted narrative of the past give me just a few more minutes with this Israel comes out of Egypt after what crying collectively to God get us out of here all right God raises up Moses and brings them out they get into the wilderness and hit up on hard times. In hard times, they start romanticizing life in Egypt. They're like, do you, do you remember the onions and the leeks? Boy, those were the days. The good old days. You know, at least in Egypt we had this. At least in Egypt we had that. You're forgetting the bitterness with which you cried. And the lengths God went to to get you out. 
But because you've hit on hard times and you have forgotten where you came from, now the devil can tell you that your past was better than your present and that you have no future at all. So every now and again, you've got to remind yourself. You've got to rehearse the story. You've got to tell it over and over again. That's the whole point of witness. You know what witnessing really is? Can I tell you what a witness is? <laughs> a witness is someone whose experience can be used as evidence in a case. Not someone who heard that someone saw someone talking about something they couldn't overhear. But someone whose personal experience can be offered as evidence in the case for Christ. Woo! But see, if you don't tell it, come on now, you become an accessory, Lord help me now, to, to the wrong conclusion simply because your evidence was never heard. So I'm going to start to wind up. I'm not sure who I'm going to wind up, but I'm going to start the wind up. <laughs> so the reality is that uh, Christ is on trial. The case for Christ. The case for Christ. And uh, prosecuting is the devil. And defending is the Holy Spirit. Y'all ain't going to help now. But the jury is your friends and family. Because it is they that must decide is Jesus real or not. It's they that must decide from the perspective of the man who saw Jesus as fake and the man who saw Jesus as real. In the end, it is the public that are going to have to make a decision about Jesus. And the devil is busy prosecuting. And the Holy Spirit is busy defending. And every now and again, the Holy Spirit will call a witness. Someone whose experience can be offered in defense of Christ. And when God calls you to be a witness, understand that somebody's destiny is at stake because they're going to make a decision about who Jesus is. I'm sorry I jumped over some stuff. I jumped over some stuff. I got to jump back to it. You see, the man who said, Jesus, you're a fake, look at you. And the other one who said, Jesus, you're a king. You're coming into your kingdom. You know what Jesus said to the guy? He said to the guy, today, ain't going to help. Today, this very day, this day that is the worst day of your life is also the best day of your life. This day that you are at your most painful is about to become your most pleasurable. This day, you're going to transition from death to life. This day, you're coming out of your darkest hour into the most marvelous light. This very day, you are coming out of, of, of pain and sorrow into gladness and joy this very day. Why? Because you see me. You see me. That's all it is. You see the truth about me. And so our friends, our families, our neighbors, they are all the jury who are making a decision about Jesus. And they're going to come down on one side or the other. It's fake, it's not real, or yes, he is real and I need him. Those who come down and say, Jesus, you are for real. Those people will transition the very same day. I'm not talking about physical life and death. I'm saying the moment you see Jesus as he is, you have transitioned to a realm, a dimension, that is called paradise and you've moved from pain to paradise and you've moved from darkness into marvelous light in that very same day that you see Jesus as he really is and all that's necessary sometimes is a testimony a witness you know it's that person who says look 
Religion, I, I can't argue about religion. But I tell you this. Before I said yes to Jesus, I couldn't sleep at night. <laughs> I didn't know who I was. I didn't have any worth. I didn't have any value. I was addicted to all kinds of stuff. I was used and abused by so many people. Before I said yes to Jesus, I was dead while I was yet living. And when I said yes, something happened in me. They said I was born again. I didn't understand what that is, but something happened. And it's been a journey. It's been a journey. There's been highs and lows. There's been ups and downs. There's been twists and turns. But I don't feel no ways tired. Come too far from where I started. Nobody told me the road would be easy. I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. And you begin to tell your story to somebody. And it might not be about the day you got saved. But it might be about the day the doctor told you the prognosis is not good. The day the doctor told you to say your goodbyes. And yet you're still saying hello. And you're still making it. Come on somebody. The day that your business collapsed and God said, I'm going to give you a better one and a bigger one. And you held on and you hung on and now it's bigger and it's better. You see, we all got these testimonies, but they are no good if they are kept to ourselves. We have got to remember somebody. We got to remember somebody. I want you to look at your neighbor say, neighbor, you've got to remember somebody. Because somebody is still in the jail God got you out of. Somebody's still in the mess that God delivered you from. Somebody is still crying the tears you used to cry. Oh, help me now. Somebody's still in that place. And I feel an upset. I feel a compulsion in my soul to reach out to your family and your friends. Y'all ain't going to help. Your colleagues, your neighbors in your neighborhood, I feel compelled to reach out to them. Say, Bishop, I don't think they're interested, you know. <laughs> because you didn't hear the first part of my message. Stop judging the book by its cover. Who would have thought this criminal had such profound theological thoughts going around in his head? You don't know what people are thinking. Huh? <laughs> Y'all think I'm joking, right? I'm not joking. Bring these things up for me right now. That's right. Watch this. It's about to get dramatic in here. So I was thinking, you know, next week we break the fast, right? Is that right? Some of you saying, what fast? But I hear you. Hey, it's okay. I understand what you're saying. Now, next week we break the fast. So I, I was having a meeting talking about breaking the fast. And I said, you know what? It's more than breaking a fast, really, isn't it? Because every day this month on our prayer line, we've been praying for souls. Did you notice that? And I said, you know what? Why don't we, on the last Sunday of this month, ask everyone to ask someone come to church with them and what if what if I don't preach about tithes and offering and I don't preach about about head coverings and jewelry and makeup right what if which I never ever do but what if I just preach the gospel in a very seeker sensitive way it's not embarrassing or hard you know sell but I just preach the gospel and give an altar call and pray with those who respond. What if we did that? And I said, you know what? Gonna do it. So everyone under the hearing of my voice that heard anything I said, I want you to take two or three of these little postcards. <laughs> okay. Here's what it says. Revive us again with Bishop Wayne Malcolm. A special service with prayers for your recovery from any setbacks 
disaster, disappointment, or devastation incurred over the last few years. Now you've got to know someone that was hit hard. And you've got to know that next week we will be praying for them and with them after we make a presentation of the gospel. So only stand to your feet if you're going to take two or three of these from me today. And you're going to start praying into someone that you're going to invite to church on next Sunday. Oh, yeah. Roll back the curtain because I don't want the musicians to get this bit wrong. Woo! Let's lift our hands to God. We're going to make a little pledge to the, before God. I'm going to pray that God use you to do something. To do something that will be greater than anything you could ever do. Because there is nothing, there is no greater work. There is no greater work than actually introducing someone to Jesus. Not to church, religion, Jesus. They may never join this church. That doesn't matter. That's not the point. I want them to meet Jesus. And I think it would be a great way to start the year. Amen? Lift your hands up to the Father now. Oh, Lord, I'm available to you. Oh, yes, I am. My will I give to you. I'll do what you say. Use me, Lord, to show someone the way. Then enable me to save my story. Father, in the name above every other name, I pray for your people, this people, this house. God, I don't believe anyone showed up accidentally this week. I don't believe anyone's under the hearing of this word incidentally this week. I think you have brought together centers of influence who sit within circles of influence, who have relationships and connections with a society that is still incarcerated, that is still bound, that is still broken. Father, I pray that you will use us as never before to fill this house next week with hungry souls who have come for prayer, who have come for help, who've come for hope, or have come just to preserve. Whatever the case, we're praying that the angel of the living God that the angels of God will fill this auditorium on next week. That every person that walks into this room will walk into a heavenly place. Will walk into the very presence of the King of Glory. We pray, Father, that we will witness a harvest of souls this very month. As we've prayed every day. This very month. And Father, as I lay my hands upon these flyers, these postcards, I pray in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name, that an anointing will go with every card. That someone we invite will say yes. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. And all the people said amen. And amen. Now watch this. What if every of all the people you ask, no one says, yeah, I'm coming. What if, what if you, no one says, I'm coming? Then guess what you do? Bring yourself Bring yourself because your because the Holy Spirit may call upon you to be a witness in the case. You're right? Because sometimes just seeing, listen, I, this is a mystery. What I'm going to tell you now is a mystery. Maybe you can resonate with it. Maybe you cannot. It's a mystery. The first day I walked into church, 15 years old. Okay? Some of y'all know my testimony. Some of you do. Some of you are about to get shocked. Had Rizla in the one back pocket. 
old Holborn in the other pocket and a three pound drawer in the front. Because I didn't go to church to find God. I went because a girl invited me to church. That's why I went. I wasn't trying to find God. I tried to find the girl. Because my issue was you scratch my back. You know, that was my idea. Okay, I'll come church. It's just the whole idea. I cannot tell you what the preacher said to this day. But I can tell you that as I looked around, I saw people my age worshiping. People that kind of look like me. I saw them in the spirit. I saw them enjoying the presence of something invisible. And that convicted me. Just seeing them worshiping. It's a mystery. I can't explain. But some of you that came to Christ you can't remember what the preacher said the atmosphere convicted you so if you can't find someone to bring bring yourself and let's create an atmosphere come on now because Because if you start clapping your hands when I say Jesus is alive, they ain't going to look around and say, oh, okay, alrighty then. It, it starts making sense. So, lift your hands up if you're going to be one of those. You're going to be an evangelist this week. I'm going to say, look, at a special service next week. Bishop's going to be praying for people that have had a really hard time during the pandemic. And um, come with me and be my guest. Right? That's all you're going to do. The stewards are going to make sure you can get hold of three at the most. Do not take a whole batch. I've seen people take a whole batch of flyers. Didn't show up themselves for the event. And definitely brought no one with them. <laughs> We're not, no, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to take a few. And all you're going to do, put them in your pocket, put them in your bag. Somewhere this week, an opportunity is going to pop up for you to invite someone to the house of God. Can I hear an amen? All right, you put your hands up. If you want some, they're going to give them to you in Jesus' name. My storage, it's empty. And I am available to you. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www iCanCommunityChurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.